electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Meg Terrell, CNBC's senior health and science reporter. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear an interview with Dr. David Ho, groundbreaking AIDS researcher and director of the Aaron Diamond AIDS Research Center at Columbia University. Dr. Ho's lab pioneered HIV treatment approaches in the early 1990s, which helped to change the course of the AIDS epidemic. Now, Dr. Ho and his team are tackling COVID-19. They recently published findings on antibodies from COVID-19 patients in the journal Nature. And that's where we started our conversation. Let's start with this research that you've just published. Help tell our audience really what the implications are for potentially having new options for COVID-19. Well, thank you, first of all, Meg, uh, for having me. Um, Well, last week we published on our findings of uh, uh, antibodies that are directed to the SARS-CoV-2. Uh, and in, in brief, we isolated uh, 61 antibodies that are capable of neutralizing the virus. And among these, we had more than a handful that are exquisitely potent. And they attack the virus at several different sites, and each uh, could result in neutralizing the virus. And the potency of these antibodies are uh, a great, a pretty good, uh, and and we could achieve neutralization with con- very very low concentration at nanogram per ml concentration. So these are uh, potentially uh, agents that we could use to treat or prevent uh, COVID nineteen infection. Hmm. And one of the things that you found, so you actually derived these antibodies, if I understand it, from some of the sickest patients um, who had COVID-19 and recovered from it. And you found that that the sicker the patients were, the more potent, potent the antibodies were that they developed. Is that right? Maybe just tell us about sort of what, how you interpreted that finding. Yeah, as we embarked on this mission to isolate uh, such monoclonal antibodies, we actually studied uh, 40 patients who were seen at Columbia University Medical Center. And we took their blood and, and assessed the neutralizing antibodies in the blood samples. And we found a whole range of them. And it turned out that patients with more severe disease had a more robust antibody response, whereas those with mild or moderate disease had lower amounts of such antibodies. And so uh, we believe this... Uh, observation is due to the fact that the severe uh, cases had seen more of the virus for a longer period of time. This is something that we have seen in the HIV field as well. Uh, Hmm. There, the patients who have more virus in the bloodstream for a longer period of time tend to have greater antibody responses. That's so interesting. What do you think that can tell us about um, you know, why so many people are asymptomatic? Do you think it's less about their immune response and more about perhaps the dose of the virus that they were exposed to or that they have in their blood? 
you know, we're, we're obviously still in the process of trying to understand all that. But uh, in, based on our initial study, yes, indeed, those with mild, with, uh, without any symptoms or mild symptoms tend to have, uh, tend to have a, a lower response. Exactly why that is, I think we, we would have to dig deeper to understand. Hmm. So your findings, you know, could potentially lead to uh, products to treat or prevent COVID-19. And I want to ask you about the next steps for that. But they, the findings also have implications potentially for telling us how well vaccines might work for us. Maybe help us understand that. Yes. Uh, so these antibodies are pretty powerful. And, and when we look at the genes that encode for these antibodies, they're not very different from what's already encoded in our DNA. That that is to say, the genes are very close to germline. And that means the, the immune system, particularly the B cell aspect of the immune system, doesn't have to work too hard to come up with such antibodies. So this particular finding of ours um, does bode well for vaccine development. It suggests that the B cells don't have to go through a elaborate process to generate these powerful antibodies. And that is is certainly uh, promising for those who are uh, generating vaccines. Hmm. Uh, it's early days, obviously. Uh, we could only know for a few months uh, just because that's how long this virus has been with us. But uh, did your findings tell you anything about the duration of the, the immune response and potential protectiveness? Uh, we're studying that now uh, among uh, the, the patients that were first evaluated several months ago. And as, as you know, uh, there have been some reports that the antibody levels uh, do wane with time. Uh, however, that is not unusual. Many viral infection would produce a peak antibody response that uh, will naturally uh, decline in, in quantity uh, post-recovery. However, in general, that antibody will persist and very importantly, the memory B cells that produce those antibodies will be there. And the next time the virus invades that host, uh, those memory B cells will kick into action uh, in a day or two and produce large amounts of antibodies uh, right away. So I'm quite certain that there will be uh, that memory response that will be very helpful in controlling subsequent infections. That would be good. Uh, I've got a question from Twitter for you from Sam uh, on sort of next steps for your antibodies that you've identified. Uh, Sam asks, uh, is Dr. Ho's team partnering with anyone to develop their monoclonal antibody therapeutics? Uh, any, <laughs> you just published this in Nature. What's, what are the next steps? Yes, we, uh, for the, in fact, for the last uh, 68 weeks, we have had extensive discussions with a number of commercial uh, entities to push these into uh, clinical development so that toward the end of this year, they could be uh, manufactured and ready for clinical trial. At this point, uh, I'm not in a position to tell you about those partnerships, but that's what we're pursuing with the idea that uh, the monoclonals could be, to, could be used to, to treat uh, certain patients, particularly in the early in the course of their infection, uh, and, and and so that the antibodies could uh, stop the spread of the virus and uh, halt the progression of disease. 
uh, and certainly uh, with the hope of reducing mortality. In addition, such antibodies could be uh, used in high-risk individuals, let's say residents in nursing homes uh, who are at uh, particular risk for, for severe COVID-19 disease. And uh, this could be used in, in lieu of a, a vaccine. Uh, and we know vaccines are moving along nicely and the prospect of success is, is quite, quite good, uh, we believe. However, it's not known whether some of these uh, folks who, have, who are elderly or who have underlying uh, chronic conditions would mount a, a sufficiently robust uh, immune response. Uh, so uh, antibodies such as those developed by our team uh, could be very useful in that setting as well. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. I want to play you a clip uh, here, if we could, from an interview that I did with Georgian Kopoulos, who's the chief scientific officer of Regeneron. We talked with him in June, just as their um, monoclonal antibody treatments uh, were advancing through clinical trials. And they just published some research in science about combining antibodies to avoid, you know, mutant versions of the virus essentially getting around one copy of the drug. Here's how he described that, if we have this clip to play for you. The fundamental discoveries that we showed um, in the scientific papers now is that just like with conventional old-fashioned antiviral drugs, giving one can have enormous benefit initially, but it can lead to the um, selection and the arise of escape viral mutants, which now could be very dangerous and risky. Uh, and what we showed is that in order to prevent this, you have to give these antibodies in cocktails. I think that there are very serious risks to consider that we do not want to be selecting the same type of escape drug-resistant mutants with single antibodies as was seen in the early days of HIV and AIDS. And I, I hope that um, everybody out there who's considering using single antibodies looks at the data, looks at the science, and, and considers those risks. And I think when we have an antibody cocktail like this available, the one that is already now in clinical trials, um, uh, I think that people should think about whether they should be proceeding with single antibody trials. So Dr. Ho, of course, he's talking about the early days of HIV and AIDS, and that's work that you uh, figured out. <laughs> so I'd love to know your take on, on what he's saying there. Well, I'm certainly a believer in combination therapy, having gone through that with HIV. And, and we know that this uh, COVID-19 uh, virus uh, is, is capable of mutating and escaping. Uh, and George uh, Yankopoulos is absolutely right. And, and the Regeneron strategy does make a lot of sense. They're using uh, a combination of two antibodies directed to one particular region called the receptor binding domain of COVID-19. And uh, I think we're our... Uh, new discoveries uh, help, uh, are helpful is, is the fact that we now have, aside from this 
receptive binding domain, we also have discovered antibodies to two other regions on the uh, spike protein on the outside of this virus. And, and this actually allows the field to construct even better uh, combinations by targeting distinct sites uh, on the surface of the virus. Do you think it's, it's potentially dangerous to use single antibodies, as George was saying, because of the ability then for escape versions of the virus to, to get around it and propagate? Perhaps uh, I wouldn't use the term dangerous, but one runs the risk that the virus could escape. Uh, although this virus doesn't uh, mutate as quickly as HIV does, uh, but one still, as George said, uh, run that risk and therefore uh, potentially would lower the efficacy if uh, one encounters a resistant virus. Mm. We were talking about targeting the receptor binding domain versus different parts of the spike protein. I wonder your thoughts about the different vaccine approaches we've seen out there. Some targeting just the RBD, the receptor binding domain, others the entire spike. I think Pfizer just selected a vaccine candidate that targets the entire uh, protein. Does one make more sense to you than another? And do any of the data look better to you than others? I, I think if I were designing a, a vaccine, I would I would focus on the entire spike protein and make sure whatever uh, vaccine construct that I made would exhibit the entire spike to the immune system. Uh, and many of the strategies that are uh, under at active investigation uh, do employ that. Um, those that focus on just the receptor binding domain, based on our findings, uh, they would be missing a whole class of antibodies that are directed, let's say, to the what we call the N-terminal domain. And so that would uh, not be ideal in my mind. Hmm. I want to ask you also about some work that I think you're also doing on uh, potential pills for uh, COVID-19, small molecule approaches, protease inhibitors, which we've seen in uh, HIV as well. Maybe just explain uh, that work and, and what you hope to find there. Yes, uh, since uh, early March, uh, my certain, num- certain members of my team have been looking at, at the COVID-19 protease which is a chemical scissor which must cut the viral proteins from larger chunks into smaller pieces. And without the functioning of this chemical scissor, uh, the virus cannot replicate. And so uh, what we've been doing is to look for small molecules that might intercalate into the active site of this protease. And and over the course of the past few months, we have found a number of uh, chemical entities that indeed uh, fit into the pocket uh, of the protease and inhibit the enzyme activity of that protease uh, somewhat. However, none of them at this point would be considered a, a drug candidate. These are just hits. Uh, with low-level activity. What we need to do now is to build on those chemical entities so that they more optimally fit into the uh, active site of the protease uh, with greater binding affinity and therefore greater potency. And once we achieve the the requisite potency, we could then think about uh, the other properties. Is it is it causing toxicity? Is it... Uh, uh, does it have favorable pharmacokinetics uh, and, and many other uh, 
features that are important for drug development. But uh, this iterative process is taking uh, much longer than the work on antibody or vaccines. And I suspect that is the case uh, in many, many pharmaceutical companies as well. I wonder if you can help us think about perhaps the year ahead. Uh, one of the phrases I loved in your paper in Nature was that you wrote, a return to some semblance of normalcy will depend on science to deliver an effective solution. And the scientific community has responded admirably. Uh, so much work is underway right now. How do you envision it in terms of the timing uh, for vaccines, the antibody drugs, potentially the small molecule drugs that could be used even differently? How do those all come uh, to be available to us over what period of time? And how long will it take us to get back to normal with these tools? I, I think the uh, mobilization on the part of the scientific community has been massive, right? And, and science is moving at uh, unprecedented speed uh, at an unprecedented scale. So it, it's, it's pretty impressive. And I th as I said earlier, I think vaccine and antibody work uh, will move along faster, although drug development is also uh, coming along. Um, so, but as you know, this is, this is going to take time uh, for the foreseeable uh, future. Let's say uh, 2020, we're probably not going to have anything that could be applied uh, on a large scale uh, as, as an effective intervention. So uh, for now, we, we have to continue to do our part as citizens to mitigate uh, the, the spread of uh, COVID-19, the usual, you know, mass social distance and, and hy good hygiene. Uh, if we don't do that, uh, as, as we're witnessing now, the, the virus will continue to spread like wildfire and, and the situation in the U.S. right now is truly uh, tragic. Uh, we have the uh, profile of a developing country and yet we're uh, the strongest nation on the planet. To what do you uh, attribute that happening? Uh, you know, as you look at kind of the, the patterns of where the outbreaks have been, you know, here in the Northeast, we had we were hit so hard at the beginning and, and we haven't seen that second wave here. Whereas some of the places in the South and the West that are now being hit so hard are seeing their first wave. Do you attribute it mostly to behavior, to people who weren't hit hard before, uh, not practicing the behaviors they needed to and now being hit? Or, you know, is there something else going on? Absolutely. It's human behavior and lack of national leadership. Uh, I think what what we have in the Northeast is similar to what Western Europe uh, went through. Uh, we had a huge uh, outbreak, and then gradually over the course of uh, the ensuing few months, uh, bringing it under reasonable control. Although, uh, you know, whether it's New York or, or France, uh, all the folks need to remain vigilant and, and uh, continue to guard against uh, for their spread. But uh, throughout much of the nation, I think we have uh, turned certain public health measures into a political debate. Wearing a mask is, is obviously uh, something that we all should be doing um, to, to stop uh, spread of COVID-19. And yet it is 
almost a political statement, whether you wear a mask or don't wear a mask, and that should not be. Um, and uh, it's we 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 must act now to as a country uh, with a uniform strategy to really bring the virus under better control in in about half or two third of the of the country, so that uh, when when fall arrives, uh, we're not going to be hit even harder uh, with further spread. Um, so the time to act is now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. We have a question for you um, from uh, Jessica Golden Hershorn, um, who asks, Dr. Ho, with your success with the NBA, uh, you're an advisor, I understand. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts about the reality of other sports seasons succeeding without a bubble. Uh, maybe just tell us about the work you've done with the NBA when you started working with them. Uh, and, you know, they have seen success. No, no infections reported yet in the, the players in the bubble in Orlando. Well, uh, I cannot go into too much detail about that, but I've been uh, working with Adam Silver and others uh, in the league uh, for some period of time, from, um, from the period even before the uh, pandemic hit New York City. Um, and, and obviously, uh, throughout the period when, when these, uh, basketball uh, was uh, shut down, uh, but it is trying to reopen now, uh, and I think the prospect of, of uh, sports without a bubble, uh, I would say, are not good, as exemplified by what we're seeing in Major League Baseball. Uh, I think what gives NBA a chance for success is the fact that they will uh, they have quarantined the players prior to. Uh, coming to Orlando, uh, and then once uh, everyone is in the bubble, uh, they are tested every single day um, so that there isn't a chance for virus infection to, to go undetected in, in the players and in the, in the staff. Um, however, uh, you know, the, these uh, NBA folks are still served by uh, individuals within the Disney complex, and uh, in, infection could be introduced. 
but the way the league has uh, has addressed that is to do uh, testing on a daily basis and pick pick up any uh, infection and then very quickly isolate the, that particular case and uh, and move on from there. Uh, and since everyone is tested in the bubble um, every day, I, I think that's the only way uh, that uh, sports could succeed given the current conditions. Obviously, um, uh, the prevalence of infection in the in, in the state of Florida is pretty high. That was uh, sort of un, unexpected when this strategy was employed, but. Um, you create the bubble uh, just to protect the all the folks within that bubble. Mm. Do you think that there is any lesson that can be taken from the success that's been seen so far by the NBA, by other organizations, perhaps universities where students are going on to campus? Is it impossible to think about them being kept in their own kind of university bubble and being tested in that way, and that providing some kind of template for success. Well, I think what MBA is doing is is pretty extreme. Uh, it's very difficult to replicate that with with schools or universities. Uh, it's simply not possible to keep everybody in one place and and completely segregated from the rest of the world. Uh, I, I think that would be difficult to do. And also uh, testing on a daily basis uh, is, is not practical for uh, for businesses or for schools. Uh, it's just not achievable. I think it's, you know, uh, based on what I know, uh, testing uh, uh, at the start of school is contemplated for some uh, some organizations, but, but uh, many can't even do that. And then regular testing, people are talking about, you know, once a week is already pretty frequent, once every two two weeks or once every month. But you would be missing a lot of cases and, and the virus would have, have spread uh, in the intervening period. So it's extremely challenging. I think that the only way we're going to do this as a society is to drive the infection rate way down by carrying out these good mitigation measures uh, for a protracted period of time so that we drive the prevalence way down to uh, what we what is seen in places like China or South Korea. And then when you only have sporadic cases on a daily basis, then you're in a position to do uh, uh, contact tracing very, very effectively and, and jump on those cases and, and prevent further spread. So we need to get there. I think if we continue to try to open up when the prevalence of infection is so high, the chance of success is very low. And I, I think there's a false debate about whether we should have public health or economic health. Uh, I think if there is no public health, there's no economic health. That's the bottom line. And so we need to work on the public health aspect first. And I believe this is a point that the that Dr. Fauci has trying so has been trying so hard to make to the nation, and yet there is a large segment of our society that does not pay any attention to that. Sadly, you know, yeah. At the beginning of this, um, 
there was a push that sort of 15 days to slow the spread coming from the White House, which they extended then another month. Um, but now it seems like the focuses are are more regional. Um, and do you think that even on a, a regional basis, that more extreme shutdown measures need to be taken than we are seeing now in order to get to that lower level of of prevalence? Yeah, I think we, you know, there are examples of success out there, right? Even in Wuhan city, where the outbreak occurred first, they shut down for a good three months and drove the number to zero before trying to open up. Now that's one extreme. I don't think we need to get to that one extreme, but hoping to drive it down uh, in in a matter of a couple of weeks, that's, that's wishful thinking. It would take six, eight, ten weeks to drive it down to a low number. And and we have to keep in mind, if we let our guard down for a week, it would take about four to six weeks to regain that position. And and it's like rolling a, a, a rock uphill. If, if you just slip, slip for a split second, you're going to have to work very, very hard to roll that back to the original position. And that is the case of fighting this pandemic. We need to be vigilant for a long period of time and get the number to a very low uh, value uh, before we could think about opening up. You know, when we look back to the last pandemic that affected us so much, to 1918, people do remind us, Dr. Fauci reminds us, that did end. uh, But that didn't end with a vaccine. Uh, Will this one, do you think, end with a vaccine? Does life go back to normal after this? and then I have a follow-up question for you, but I'll stick with those for the, for this one. I, I think the ultimate solution will be delivered by science. I think human behavior is such that it's it's not completely reliable, and 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 we're going to have lots of breakthroughs, and there will be lots of fear, and society uh, will not return to normal. I think the prospect of vaccine or antibody or drug uh, coming through uh, are, are good. Um, and I think we, to, to deal with this pandemic, we, we're going to need multiple tools in our toolkit. So don't just count on, on vaccines or, or drugs. I think we're going to count on, uh, uh, all of them in addition to behavioral modification, uh, and all the mitigation measures that we should be taking. I think we're going to need all of those things to bring, uh, to bring back normalcy. You know, I was talking with Dr. Mike Osterholm uh, last week, and he said that coronavirus is going to be with us forever. Um, and, you know, the, the vaccine companies are talking about their business models with these vaccines, you know, a price during the pandemic, and then a price if it becomes more of a sort of seasonal vaccine or one that you're needing to take more regularly. How do you envision this virus living with us in the future? Well, it, it you know, it is spreading uh, among millions of people right now. And it's hard to envision completely wiping it out as we did with SARS coronavirus 17 years ago. Uh, It's simply too widespread to be completely eliminated. But, you know, if if we had an extremely effective vaccine, uh, it is quite possible that we could carry out massive vaccination if, if the citizenry uh, agrees to cooperate, uh, which, which is another challenge. 
uh, and so that uh, it's no long, there's no longer human-to-human -human transmission. Now, we still need to worry about uh, reintroduction of the virus or related virus from some animal reservoir. But uh, I would like to think that if there is a will, we, we could achieve uh, elimination. But that's not uh, going to happen anytime soon, as uh, uh, Dr. Osterholm uh, stated. Hmm. Well, you know, we've talked about a lot of the things that are, are difficult right now, but uh, one question I'd love to, to end on is, is there anything you're seeing now that gives you hope? What, what are you most optimistic about as, as you look out on the horizon? Well, it's related to what I said before. There's just uh, so many uh, people working on vaccine, antibodies, and drugs. I, 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 I'm a believer that uh, several of these strategies will come through and make a huge impact on this pandemic. But in the meantime, I think uh, we all need to uh, buy time for the scientists uh, to deliver. That was Dr. David Ho, groundbreaking AIDS researcher and director of the Aaron Diamond AIDS Research Center at Columbia University. He and I spoke on July 29, 2020, as part of CNBC's Healthy Returns, The Path Forward series. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For information on upcoming virtual events and how you can participate, please visit cnbcevents.com. I'm Meg Terrell. Take care and thanks for listening. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.